Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 20 of the Classic Rock Podcast. For those about to pod, we salute you. You'll find the show on the usual podcast and streaming services, so please hit like and subscribe and send us a review. It helps spread the word. On this episode, Matt will take us through the year in rock that was 1980. Strap yourselves in for that one. We will have our usual features of latest news, some live gig reviews, and hidden gems. Hash HGT. But here he is, ladies and gentlemen, the mercurial maverick of the microphone, Mr. Matt Rogers. Hey, mate. How you doing? Hello, Brian. Yep. Well, that, that's sort of become our thing now, isn't it? That sort of kind of... Um... <laughs> anyway, that's good. Hello, Brian. Nice to see you again. After last weekend, we, we spent a weekend together, which that was very nice. We'll come on to that. Okay. Um, it's but it's our birthday. It is. We're, we were eighteen, obviously a couple of episodes ago, and now we're one. Now it doesn't wait. <laughs> doesn't doesn't make sense, does it? <laughs> so anyway, episode twenty. We've just ticked over doing this for a year. We have. And a it date. Doesn't, doesn't seem like it. Well, it does seem like a year actually, actually, because when I look at the uh, early episodes. <laughs> we were we were just finding our way where we it was like you know we were just we were just heading out on on our on on the path to our two and a half million plus episodes and here we are at number 20 we are indeed. so um there you go one year old happy happy birthday to us happy birthday to us indeed hmm yeah there you go not many people can remember their first birthday, but, but clearly we can. We can indeed. In a, in a strange, in a strange way. And we planned uh, for it as well. We planned for our birthday. Well, that's right. Indeed, indeed. So, um, and any other milestone-related news? Oh, Brian? Yeah, of course, of course. Without any prompting at all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we today have just hit that heady milestone of 2,000 listens and downloads to our show. So thank you to everybody around the globe mm. who has um, checked out the uh, the podcast and has left us reviews and comments. And um, um, yeah, so uh, there we go, 2,000. It's very good. Very good. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Now we're very thankful and we appreciate everyone listening. And, um, you know... Send your comments and your thoughts and your messages and and so on. Yeah, I'm quite astounded at that, but uh, it's good stuff. So, um, in the news, then, Brian, anything caught your eye recently? Yeah, um, it's news wise, um, and I'm a little bit annoyed as well too. Oh, really? What have they done? What have <laughs> so, done David Lee Roth has mm. announced his retirement from live gigs, and he. I think didn't he say something? I'm 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 handing in my shoes. I'm handing in my boots. I'm retiring. Yeah, that's right. And I thought it was I thought it was really cool the way in which he did it. Um, and and he's and he's doing a a last residency in Las Vegas. That's right. But the way in which he's on his poster, he, he said the last tour dot 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 unless it isn't. Oh no. <laughs> Not one of those. Yeah, you're just kind of going, you're just going, here we go again. It's, it's, you've said you're retired. You've done it in a really, really nice, graceful way. Da, 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 da. And the poster says, the last tour, unless it isn't. So I'm giving myself the out if I want to go on tour again. Oh, so, um, so. That's, yeah, that's a real sort of cop out, isn't it? We've seen that from, we saw that from Quo back in the 80s, of course. <laughs> and then Motley Crue did it and Scorp- we discussed this, Scorpions have been on their farewell tour for about 10 years now yeah. and really don't, uh, there's no end in sight for them. So yeah, I read that about Dave Lee Roth and, I, and I'm in a way I'm not surprised uh, as we discussed last time, he's had a bit of criticism about his voice and, you know, his voice isn't what it was 40 mm. odd years ago. Um, and um you know, he. Uh, I think he's. I think he was affected by the death of Eddie Van Halen. To be honest with you, which was just just over a year ago now, October yeah. sixth last yeah, that's year. Right. Um, I remember us talking about it. That was one of the first things we talked about. So I think I think Dave has been um, affected by that. So good on him. And um, I've been to the Madeley Bay, the House of Blues in um, 
in, in Las Vegas. And it's it's a nice venue. I think he'll be all right there. Five, was it a five night residency? Something um, like that, yeah. 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 So I think I think he will draw in the punces for sure, especially if it's his last tour or his last few dates. So uh, yeah, good on you, Diamond Dave. If it is. <laughs> well, indeed, indeed. And we've seen, as I said, we've seen that before, haven't we? The um, the change of heart once the dollars come rolling in. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, we, sh- we shall see. Um, and it's a bit tough on the road at the moment. There's a few things um, I've been reading in the news Um uh, poor Anita Strauss, who's the guitar player in uh, Alice Cooper's band. Mm. Al- Alice, Alice was um, obviously Al- Alice c- comes out in all of his his fine regalia, and music comes out with a, a nice cane, and he was mm. and he was whacking it on the on the stage, and shards of it came off and hit poor Nita yeah. Nita Strauss in the face, but she just. Um, uh, had a little walk across the side of the stage, stage, they checked her face and then she just kept riffing away to feed my Frankenstein. So uh, always dangerous on stage um, with, uh, with Alice well, about. With Alice. Yeah. Well, you're right. And funny enough, in the same vein, and slightly, slightly more serious, of course, um, the Falcon, Richie Faulkner from, from Judas Priest. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was very scary. So, so they were playing a gig in um, Louisville, Kentucky, and um, there's actually footage of this. It's quite, it's quite eerie to watch it. So they're in the middle of the song Painkiller. And, um, and uh, poor old uh, Richie Faulkner, the guitarist and Judas Priest, uh, suffered um, an aortic aneurysm, which I, don't, I think it's not quite the same as a heart attack, but it's really serious. And, you know, it's life and death situation. And um, incredibly, he carried on playing. I know, um, I know. And and then I was obviously then rushed to hospital and had had lengthy operation and and came out saying I've got I've got metal now in my chest so he's essentially made of metal. But um, yeah, I mean it's not all it's not all fun and games on tour. Clearly, whether it's being hit in the face by Alice's cane or uh, having an uh, aortic aneurysm yeah. when you're halfway through the painkiller. Ironically, that song. Painkiller yeah. was what he was playing at the same time. He must, he must be in a huge amount of pain. So we wish you well, Richie Faulkner. He's one of my favourites in Priest. He gets a lot of flack for some reason. I, and I can't from diehard Priest fans. And I'm a, I'm a, I mean, I'm a, I'm a diehard Priest fan, but I'm not that diehard. Not to the extent that I'd say, you know, out with out with the new, back in with the old. Um, I mean, there were some tri- tries and tribulations in the last three years, few years. But you know, I'm, I like Richie Faulkner. He's been a breath of fresh air to Priest, and since he joined in 2000. And, 11 I think it was so um, yeah we wish him a speedy recovery of course absolutely I'm a big I'm a big fan of Richie I, fo- I follow him on social media and he's very good in social media he, he? really is and he, he'll spend time just um, with with backing tracks and he'll sit he'll sit in front of a like a live stream and just people will shout out play us the riff to crazy train or and he's such a great pl- he's such a great player he'll just play stuff and get well soon Richie and yeah, that's right. And the other thing that caught my eye was uh, Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath. Now he's this is this is this very odd. He's had a, a fossil, a newly discovered fossil, named after him. <laughs> now this this fossil is uh, I don't know how they can be so specific in in, in a sense, but it's four hundred sixty nine million years old. And this um, paleontologist called Mats Eriksson, who's a, who's a rock fan, clearly a Sabbath fan, um, he um, he's named this this uh, this fossil after um, Tony Iommi, and of course I can imagine what Tony Iommi would think of this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm uh, I'm very flattered to to, uh, to have a fossil named after me. Uh, I was uh, I was talking to uh, Ozzy and uh, Giza about it, and they said uh, we always thought you were old fossil, and now it's official. <laughs> but uh, so good, uh, good. I just think that. In. So uh, yeah, interesting having a fossil named after you. Yeah. Um, apparently, Keith Richards remembers when it was you know before it was even a fossil. <laughs> he, he was there pre-fossil. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. But- anyway, that is that's all the news for me. Yeah, Brian. well, I'll, there's just what you got. I, I've Anything got else? well, I've got a couple of things if you don't mind. Mm. Just just on the Sabbath front, 
Mm. I noticed that this week, um, Bill Ward, obviously, Bill Ward's come back out and said, I'd like to do a final Sabbath record. You know, let, let's, let's, mm. I bet he would. Let, let, let's, <laughs> let's, let's put it to bed with a, with a live album. I don't, uh, with a, with a, a studio album, obviously no touring, etc. And I was just kind of going, uh, really? I, th- I thought I thought I thought we had the end of the end of the end, mm. and but now we want to do an album after the end of the end. So I, th- I thought timing wise, yeah. I thought uh, you know it's 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 all kind of done and it's all done and all done and dusted. So yeah, mm. well, well, you never know. I mean, I know I know, I know Tony Iommi, the aforementioned Tony Iommi, is 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 open to you know, doing something with Sabbath again. I don't think Ozzy's keen. Ozzy obviously has got his medical issues, you know, ongoing. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's an interesting. I think Bill Ward is, um, you know, he's, he obviously is part of the Sabbath, you know, the Sabbath history. So he deserves to have some say on, or at least to, to suggest what they do next yeah. as a group. Um, yeah, so we shall see how that plays out. Exactly. Um, exactly. But, but uh, before we before we dive back into the mm. annals of time into the 1980s, mm. I just want to shout out some new music from a Norwegian band. So my uh, so my friend Ed, who's my one of my gig buddies up in Edinburgh, Ed put me on to this band called Monstereo. Monstereo are a four piece band from. Bergen in Norway, and they have just released an album in the last couple of weeks called In the Hollow of the Wave. Matt, it is my big contender for album of the year this year. It's got a really, it's quite heavy. It's very 70s feel. If if you kind of like the Black Keys, Queen of the Stone Age, but with great singing and, uh, and great songwriting, Monstereo is a band to check out. They're just, um, they're on their third album. Um, I have just been absolutely blown away by their third album. So Monstereo, good new music. Thanks, Ed, for the uh, for the heads up on it. And I recommend everybody to go and check them out. It's on hmm. Spotify. You can buy it on Bandcamp. But some new music from uh, a band called Monstereo, who I never heard of before. So Me neither. I'll put them on the playlist and really be interested to see what everybody thinks of it. Very good. Very good. Well, what, another one for the playlist, Brian. Oh, here we before, go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, there's a new song out by a band called Goodbye June. Now, um, one of many bands that have come out of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, got a really good song out at the moment called Step Aside. Have a listen to it. Uh, my, it's kind of the first time I've, I've heard Goodbye June, but I'd I'd welcome uh, everyone listening to it and tell me who the singer reminds you of. Um, to me, he sounds uncannily uncannily like Bon Scott. Okay. In that sort of highway to hell era. It's a good song, all the same. Um, and then uh, we talked a little while ago about uh, Guns N' Roses and the song uh, Absurd that was out uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, Guns N' Roses got a new song out. It's actually a little bit better, which <laughs> is not, not difficult. Um, <clears throat> and it's called uh, Hard School. And it's a bit more sort of um, classic Guns N' Roses. It's got a good vocal from Axel. It's got uh, uh, slashes, very prominent, and it's kind of typical, um, typical G and R. It's got shades of uh, "You Could Be Mine" in the riff. Okay, um, but check it out. I, I listened to it this morning. I thought that that's pretty good. And then finally, um, we talked about this guy before, Jerry Cantrell, who's the lead guitarist and co-vocalist in uh, Alison Chains, and he's got a new album coming out. In fact, uh, in a couple of weeks, it's called Brighton, as in to make things brighter, not brighten the, the, the city in West Sussex. <laughs> That'd be odd, wouldn't it? Right, right, a rock album all about Brighton. Well, I suppose Queen almost did it, didn't they? Brighton rock. But anyway, this is, uh, this is an album called Brighton. And the, um, the lead-off track is, is the title track, or rather the, the track that's out at the moment. It's called Brighton. Um, so check it out, Gary, uh, Jerry Cantrell. I nearly called him Gary Cantrell then. Uh, check it <laughs> Check it out, Jerry Cantrell, Brighton. And I, I, I think I'll have a listen to the album. I've uh, been an uh, Alison Chains fan for a long time. So, um, yeah. And you talked about his uh, his previous solo album, which is a long time ago now. 
Um, and uh, obviously, it was 2002 when um, when his album um, Degradation Trip came out. So obviously, he's waited a while to uh, to put his next uh, solo album out. So um, yeah, Brighton. Good. I'll See definitely be checking that. I'm a I'm a big fan of Jerry. Yeah. Great, great singer, good guitar player, good songwriter. It looks better with long hair, doesn't he? Cut his hair short a few years ago, and uh, he's grown it back now. I tell you what, if you put him and Richie Faulkner beside each other, it'd be dead ringers for each other. That's true, actually, isn't it? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and KK Downing. But maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we move but, on? Yes, let's. Let's. So, um, last time, you set me the task of looking back at 1980. What a um, hardship that will be for well, you! It was, I'm very, sure. it was very hard. It was it was a bit like looking back at 2000. It was very, 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 very difficult. No, it was great, uh, and um, I, I did. I was I was there in 1980. I was a rock fan. Um, I just discovered rock in the in sort of 1979, 80, and uh, but 1980 was an amazing year. Probably the, in my opinion. In my humble opinion, the best year in rock there's ever been. And when you look back Ooh. at the albums that took that were released and the energy that was around at that time, and how rock was really prominent, um, it was a, it was an incredible year. I was uh, I was fourteen going on fifteen, so I was you know perfect perfect age um, back in um, back in nineteen eighty. You were you were a bit more of a you were you were a toddler, then, weren't you in nineteen eighty, Brian? <laughs> In the mean streets of Limavady. Uh, yes, I was. I was. I was eleven. Yeah. Oh. So I was light. I would have been light on gigs, going to gigs you, in nineteen eighty. Did you have the meatloaf jacket then? No, no. Meat, meatloaf jacket would have been uh, obviously, but it probably been about eighty three, eighty four, just before, just before I went to university. Right. Anyway, so yeah, I mean, amazing year, uh, nineteen eighty, and it was. A, I look back and I was thinking about it. I mean, it was a. It was. A, in Britain, and I'm talking mainly about Britain. I mean, I was I lived in Britain at the time. I was in Thetford in Norfolk, um, not the rock epicenter of the world, but we had our moments. You know, we had local bands and you know people that liked rock music and so on and so forth. But um, it was a kind of the, there was almost a, the stars were aligned in a sense. Um, you had uh, the new wave of British heavy metal was really taking hold in 1980. Bands were kind of rising. The cream was rising to the top. Um, Def Leppard uh, released their first album on Through the Night. Not that they like to be classed as... Not uh, at all. Not at all. New album, of course. <laughs> um, and the album itself, there's tinges of them sort of having a an eye on the US. Hello America is obviously there. You know, uh, I mean, uh, Joe Edette wrote it when he was working in a, in a spoon factory, I think, in Sheffield. But clearly it was their sort of... You know, court US calling card. No good song, all the same. Uh, Iron Maiden released their first album. Um, I remember that vividly in uh, in April to the uh, nineteen eighty, and uh, released the same day as British Steel by Judas Priest. Um, Saxon had the strong arm of law out. Um, Diamond Head. Have I ever mentioned Diamond Head? No, no. I, I just didn't, I had I I was ready just in case you weren't going to mention Diamond Head. Of course, I would have jumped in and yeah. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> they they, um, they uh, released their first album, uh, the White Album or Lightning to the Nations, as it's uh, more commonly known as. And um, so those those the Robin bands were really gathering pace. There were there were plenty of others, but I'm really focusing on the albums that I bought back in. Back in 1980, so you had the you had the new wave of British heavy metal kind of post-punk movement, if you like. And I know Steve Harris has distanced himself from being influenced by punk, but um, certainly Brian Tatler and Biff Byford themselves, to name to name but two, um, Brian from Diamond Head and Biff from Saxon, of course, you, you know, have, have, have openly admitted they they you know they were they were influenced by punk in that it was you know well, let's go and do some gigs. Let's, you know, I could play better than these guys, so. You know, let's go out and play. We might not be Led Zeppelin or Deep Purple, but you know, we can uh, we can we could go out and play. So there was certainly um, certainly a you know a resurgence in New Album in 1980, um, and then there was a lot of the old guard were kind of you know had had a kind of kick up the backside, as it were. Most had released the Ace of Spades, yeah. which um, despite the, the the title song 
probably being overplayed over the years, um, the, the sort of signature song. Um, you know, a great album, Chase Spent the Catch, We Are the Road Crew is on there. Um, you know, great, great album, Ace of Spades. Um, including their sort of more sort of cowboy look uh, when they were dressed in black hats and ponchos. And actually that was filmed in... Um, the, the, the uh, photos were taken in a quarry in uh, just north of London, so it wasn't exactly that exotic. Uh, Judas Priest released, Brit- released British Steel on the back of Unleashed in the East and Killing Machine, which are all good albums in their own right, but British Steel, as I say, released the same day as the first Iron Maiden album, was 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 colossal and, you know, spawned songs like Living After Midnight, Metal Gods is on there, Breaking the Law, of course, um, you know, just some just some massive songs recorded in um, Ringo Starr's house. In was it really? I never knew. Surrey somewhere. Yeah, I think it was. I think it used to belong to Ringo Starr, and then he sold it to John Lennon, or the other way around. But um, they recorded this 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 huge album in um, in that house, that big white house. Uh, if you remember the Imagine video, mm-hmm. that was obviously played a lot in the latter end of. 1980, 81, as we'll come on to. Um, John Lennon's playing the piano in that white room, which is where the priest recorded um, the British Steel album. Um, I I always have a little bit of a chuckle. Always mm -hmm. a little bit of a chuckle uh, thinking of Breaking the Law by Judas Priest when Mm. you think of the video. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Breaking into a Barclays bank in Shepherd's Bush or somewhere, wasn't it? And is there, and and, uh, obviously at that time in the, 1979, 1980, you had all of the cardboard guitars and and uh, you yep. know air guitar guys as well too. And it's 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 a video that has not stood the test of time too well. But it, I That's find true. it hilarious. That's true. I actually had a cardboard uh, a cutout guitar, so that, it wasn't a thing. <laughs> you know, so you had the air guitar, which was obviously you know <clears throat> air, but then there was this thing around, and as you say, featured in that video, there was this kind of trend to get the old saw out, get a nice pit of plywood and, and create your own flying V. Did you really? Um, did you, did you make your yeah, own guitar? I think so. And it was, a sh- it was, unless I dreamt it, it was a short lived venture because I wasn't very good at woodwork. Um, but it was a thing. I was the living embodiment of rock in those days. I, you know, I had a bullet belt and I was a big motorhead fan uh-huh. um, and I had a bullet belt, leather jacket, denim jacket, you know, those white kind of baseball boot shoes. Do you remember those? Yeah. Um, that, uh, you know, were de rigueur if you were a rock fan in, in 1980. And I always used to think, I always used to look at bands like UFO and they just dressed in like jackets and trousers. I think, hang on, what, uh, you know, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you dress like me? But uh, it was just, it was all spawned out of the sort of priest kind of look, I suppose, and the motorhead look and with the bullet belts and the cowboy boots and so on and so forth. Um as, as other of the old, the old guard that we mentioned, um, I mean, one of the greatest albums ever, uh, um, certainly one of Black Sabbath's greatest albums, Heaven and Hell, was released in um, in 1980. Ozzy had left, and uh, they they recruited um, one Ronnie James Dio, who had been fired by Rainbow, and um, just a colossal album. I mean, you know, end to end whether it be, you know, the title track, Heaven and Hell, Children of the Sea, Neon Knights, Die Young, you name it. I mean, it's just just every single song in there is an absolute classic. And, um, you know, it was, I think it was, I think it was a real turning point for, um, for, for Sabbath. Clearly they were on the, on the skids with uh, their sort of drink and drugs issues. And, um, you know, they, they really upped their game uh, with, with the introduction of... Um, of Ronnie Dio and uh, followed it up with Mob Rules next year, of course. Um, so, and talking Ozzy again, I mean, this is another colossal album. You look back at um, his first solo album, the blizzard of Oz with uh, the late Randy Rowe, well, late, late Lee Kersley and, and Randy Rhodes and Bob Daisley. Again, so many good songs off that crazy train. I don't know. Mr. Crowley, just, just uh, a fantastic album, and I talk about all these albums, and I bought them on vinyl. And I, and I literally, I used to work on a market stall in uh, Bury St Edmunds, just down the road from where I grew up, and um, and I also did a paper round. I was still doing a paper round, fourteen, fifteen, and uh, literally every penny that I earned doing those two jobs, which amounted to twelve pounds fifty a week, went on went on albums or singles or yeah. or posters or 
whatever, you know, it was just it was almost an obsession. And I, and I was, and I, you know, I, I, what I'll probably do is on, for the Facebook page, I'll lay out these vinyl albums that I've still got from 1980 because they're all here. Wow. Um, uh, so Blizzard of Oz, great album. Um, probably, probably again, in my, in my opinion, Aussie's high point as a solo performer. And of course, with the amazing talent of um, the sadly missed Randy Rose, of course. I mean, as a guitarist, uh, Brian, which you are, I know you, you know, you know a couple of chords. Um, what, what do you, what, what do you think about Randy Rose as a guitar player? Obviously, everybody's just getting used to Eddie, Eddie Van Halen, with the, yeah. um, with all of the finger tapping, etc., that was coming out. And then I, you can imagine all the young guitarists of the day were all trying to learn eruption and all of the finger tapping. And then Randy comes along, and he is this very articulate. I think the phrase in guitar terms is neoclassical. So he's mm. he's able to he's able to play classical guitar. He's he's so um you know, he's he's learnt his instrument as a classical instrument and then he's able to just play all of the you think of the solos for, you know, and I don't know and uh Crazy Train, etc. It's he's just such an uh, a brilliant player, and I know probably the the biggest compliment that I can uh, that I, that that I can give him is Gary Moore at the time um, when Randy passed. Uh, Gary wrote a piece of music for Randy, and he just sort of thought that Randy was just you know what he was doing at that time and those first two albums, and then the subsequent live album and tribute. Um, he's just he he was brilliant player off I suppose he doesn't because his catalogue of materials not a lot he, mm. he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't get into the lists of the the Brian Mays the Tony Iomi's the uh, you know people who've had a long long career but um Randy was phenomenal and I, I'm so pleased over the years through YouTube you get to see some of the footage uh, uh some of the rehearsal footage um with the you know I can remember seeing um, obviously the Blizzard of Oz band didn't stay together that long. You know, the touring band ended up being uh, Ozzy, Randy, Tommy Aldridge and Rudy Sarzo um, mm-hmm. from Quiet Riot. But he was just a phenomenal guitar player. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, much missed, mm. much missed. Um, speaking of guitar players, um, Michael Schenker had left UFO in uh, 1978-79 I read about the recording of Strangers in the Night which is still my favourite live album ever um, and he released his first album uh, MSG or Michael Schenker Group with Gary Barden and Mo Foster and um, the ubiquitous Simon Phillips on drums and again that's a great album it's not not the best from a production perspective but you know some great great tracks on it Armed and Ready I think it's still in the set I'm pretty certain it's still in the set Into the Arena uh, Cry for the Nations uh, again some you know great stuff and um, he really rediscovered himself Michael Schenker as a solo performer and um, he did alright recruiting Gary Barden who didn't last very long as the singer um, before Graham Bonnet re- replaced him in about 1982 three. Yeah. but uh, as, as a debut album as a solo performer it's a it's a, it's a great great album the first Michael Schenker group album um, I was talking of UFO uh, again, another another great album, another kind of great gem in the in the UFO pantheon is uh, No Place to Run, which is the first album post obviously post Schenker, uh, Paul uh, Chapman on guitar, Tonka Chapman, and um, produced by one George Martin, mm-hmm. which was uh, very interesting. I don't think it. I mean, it's still a good album. It's it's, it's you know it's it's quite well produced. I mean, as you would expect, but he wasn't clearly a rock and metal producer, but um, it's still a pretty good job. And, you know, songs like Alpha Centauri, Letting Go, uh, that sort of one-two opening track, Mystery Train, the uh, the, the, the cover, um, and indeed the, you know, the title song itself, No Place to Run. I'm just ca- listing all these off because I'm looking forward to hearing them all on the, uh, on the Spotify <laughs> Uh, playlist. One of my favourite songs in the album is This this Fire Burns Tonight, which is a great um, Paul Chapman, Phil Mogg composition. And um, yeah, some some great stuff on that album. So, you know, again, UFO uh, turned a corner then and they were having a resurgence um, under, uh, uh, with with Paul Chapman on guitar. Um, 
Again, it's still, still people do, even all these years later, and with Paul Chapman having passed away a couple of years ago, uh, people still do, you know, grumble about what was the best era for UFO. But I've got a lot of time for that kind of 80s era. I started with No Place to Run through to when, um, right about sort of just before Misdemeanor, when uh, Paul Chapman called it day, Pete Way had gone. But certainly No Place to Run is a... Is a is a good album in the uh, in the uf the UFO sort of canon of work. Um, I, I I do you know what I I completely agree. I think the three albums. I think when you look at the the albums, no place to run, the wild, the willing, the innocent, and mechanics. You know, mm. the three albums in effectively two years. Yeah, you you go into um, you can for me my my era of UFO that I like the most is that period with Paul Chapman and you had Neil Carter um, mm. in the band. Um, obviously, Pete Way was yep. was pretty much gone by by the end of that. Um, but but it is, it's it's nice when you can have a band. And in 90, you know, maybe we'll talk about, you know, you look at 1980 and you think about the seismic changes in a lot of bands. You know, ACDC with Brian Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um uh, you, you know, you've effectively got got that change. Led Zeppelin losing, um, you know, John Bonham in 1980. Bands were, there was seismic things happening with bands and some mm. things went, wow, that next phase of the band is brilliant. And some actually went, well, no, we're not going anywhere further. And I actually think that that period with Paul Chapman is the songwriting wise, I agree with you, you know, production, production wise, but songwriting wise, um, it's up there for me. Okay, it's yeah. not Doctor Doctor, but and it's not Strangers in the Night as a live album, but that was a nice period for UFO for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a couple of live albums to mention that year. Um, uh, White Snake released Live in the Heart of the City, um, double album, part recorded in 1978, and the other part recorded in 19, early 1980, and um, released in late 1980. And again, as a live album, just, just almost, uh, almost perfection. White Snake, probably at their peak. I know it was 1980, but it certainly did catapult them into the stratosphere in terms of certainly within the UK and to an extent, extent in Europe and Japan. Um, I mean, they were selling out Hammersmith Odeon, and I went. I went the following year as one of my first gigs to see them on that that, that Come and Get It tour, and they were just, um, you know, great stuff. Live Coverdale was. You know, at his peak, um, you know, Moody Marsden, John Lord and Ian Pace, you know, three members of Deep Purple mm-hmm. um, who were by that time had, had, had gone. Um, just incredible. And that Live in the Heart of the City album is is just colossal. I mean, it still stands up there um, with some, you know, one of, some of the best live albums ever. I know you say I know you would say that Strangers in the Night Strangers in the Night is your favorite live album uh Live in the Heart of City is my favorite live album I know um deep inside me the the little Irish boy should be going Brian it's you know it's it's live and dangerous live and dangerous you know you have to, mm. not for me I I I I think that uh, Live in the Heart of City captures White Snake at their at that period in the career that lineup, it's perf- It's just a phenomenal. You get a, you get a nice live feel off it. Mm, mm. You know, it's it's uh, absolutely yeah, absolutely. And then uh, you can kind of uh, at the other end of the spectrum with, with live albums. Um, live at last was released, which was a black <laughs> uh, Black Sabbath live album. So on the, on the I have it. There, I have it. I've I, got I it. have as well. I have it. I went through a phase of just buying live albums. <laughs> Me too. You know, Me too. Yeah. Um, and on the strength of, uh, I think it was released by NEMS or NEMS, whatever that label was. Yeah. They, they, they got the rights to this gig, this Sabbath gig from about 1973, I think it was. Um, and uh, essentially it was released on the strength of the, as I said earlier, the resurgence of Black Sabbath with the Heaven and Hell album. And um, it's been, it's kind of been tidied up over the years. It's on the past life. CD, which is released a few years ago, uh-huh. but back then, I mean, you look back and it's very, very muddy and very, you know, clunky. And uh, I mean, there's a ridiculously overly long um, guitar solo from from Tony Iommi on it, and and so on. So, you know, there's tons of feedback and all the rest of it. But as a as a raw 
album, I guess, you know, it's, 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 it's likable, but certainly it was, um, it was probably not the, not the, not the finest hour, let's say. Um, and then finally, uh, I can't not mention 1980. You touched upon ACDC earlier. We'll come to them in a minute, but, um, Rush released Permanent Waves. That was my introduction to Rush in 1980. Uh-huh. And, um, featuring Spirit of Radio, Free Will, um, Entre New, Different Strings. Compared to their previous albums, some quite relatively short songs, uh, dabbling in sort of reggae beats. Neil Peart made no secret of that. He was influenced by that kind of police sound of yeah. the late 70s, early 80s, that sort That's of right. Stuart Copeland, almost reggae um, time signature. Um, but, you know, a great album. And again, part of that sort of early 80s, along with uh, Exit Stage Left, which came uh, after the, the next album, um, Moving Pictures. But part of that, you know, triumvirate of, of fantastic albums from Rush, really, again, really turned the corner. I'd, I'd kind of left those big, long, fantasy-driven songs of 2112 and Hemispheres and so on behind and really were concentrating on writing, um, you know, relatively short, punchy, but still very much with that Rush that rush sound to them. Yeah. You're aware that, you are aware, um, Matt, and to mm. our listeners, that the playlist for 1980s, at the moment, about 17 hours long. That's fine by me. <laughs> That's fine by me, and it, and it will grow longer, I'm sure. Um, and then finally, um, as you said, um, 1980 was quite a dark year in lots of ways. It was a, it was a very up year, there was loads of music, loads of good music, loads of great albums. Uh, rock was everywhere. It was on TV. It was on, well, Kerrang! came out the year after, but Sounds Magazine, which uh, was probably the, the rock, heavy rock magazine to go to, uh, regularly featured uh, interviews with UFO and Diamond Head and, and you know, Saxon and so on. Um, but it, as I said, it was quite a dark year in that we lost... Uh, Three real icons uh, of rock. Um, as you said earlier, John Bonham died in, in September 1980, which signaled the end of Led Zeppelin. Um, and uh, I remember that. I mean, it was, it was, it was tragic. I mean, he, he died after a, uh, drinking a huge number of shots of vodka um, and uh, died of, of, of asphyxiation, unfortunately, discovered by John Paul Jones, I think, in Jimmy Page's house, getting ready for for a recording or a tour or whatever it was. So again, a sad loss. And, you know, rock fans, I think, you know, you don't have to be a Led Zeppelin fan to know how great a drummer John John Bonham was, certainly up there in terms of the great drummers of, of, well, of any era, I guess, but certainly within the rock genre. Um, Yeah, a huge sad loss. And you you, you sometimes think, well, you know, what if he'd have lived? What, What would have happened to Led Zeppelin, what, what would they be doing now? You know, but sadly it wasn't to be. Um, earlier in the year, uh, as you touched upon earlier, we lost Bon Scott. Uh, bon Scott died in uh, February of 1980, which again, I remember as a huge loss. Uh, I, I just actually, the, the year before with Highway Tale, just kind of started to get into ACDC. And, and uh, sadly we lost um, Bon Scott in, in February. And uh, I remember at the time thinking it was quite a rapid selection process and a relatively short amount of time before they um they uh, appointed brian johnson who i'd known about i mean i'd known about geordie the band from the the early 70s did you really um, all right okay yeah all because of you uh which was their kind of hit i remember that song um so i knew of brian johnson and um he was he was appointed in uh so so bon scott died in in uh, February, and Brian was, uh, you know, rolled out, if you like, as a singer in, you know, on April the 1st. So not, not, not much time had elapsed, but I think it was driven largely by the fact that uh, Bon Scott's mum at, at Bon's funeral back in Australia basically said, let lads carry on. Bon would have wanted you to carry on, and that's, that's what they did. And you can tell from the quality of the album that followed Back in Black, which essentially in itself was a tribute to Bon Scott, um, that a lot of the ideas they'd had and a lot of the sort of riffs, they hadn't just developed in a relatively short time, short space of time. Back in Black was released in July of 1980. So clearly from Bond passing away to the release was again, a relatively short space of time. But I mean, you know, we talked about Back in Black before, just probably, 
in my well, it is in my opinion probably the perfect rock album from end to end, from Hell's Bells, the title track Back in Black, and You Shook Me All Night Long, and and so on. You know, it's just everyone knows the album. Most people have got it. It's the second or third biggest selling album of all time. It's just just amazing. Um, it was and- one of the highlights of Saturday night for me, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> when we were standing, uh, when we were standing in the underground, and usually, you know, the the DJ or the person that's playing the music uh, in between bands, and if you can think on Saturday night, the only the only album that was played <laughs> on a repeat all night was Back in Black. <laughs> maybe it probably only had one. Maybe only had one CD or something. <laughs> you know. Um, and then at the end of the year, uh, again, I remember this well, uh, John Lennon was was killed in New York, um, which was just huge at the time. I mean, it was just the outpouring because he was the first Beatle to, to die. He was only 40 mm. when he was killed. He was in the middle of his solo career along with the rest of the Beatles. And, you know, he was, I think the fact that, you know, the whole world was probably a Beatles fan. I mean, we're, you know, whether you are a fan or not, you know the Beatles. You know the the impact they had on on uh, modern music, and um, the loss of John Lennon was just huge. I remember it. I remember it well. It was a very sad time, just before Christmas, nineteen eighty, and um, of course his albums were, re- were re released. Imagine went to number one. I think it might be the Christmas number one in the UK. Uh, which is a, which is a huge thing, and um, yeah, it was um, yeah, it was a massive, massive, tragic event. The death of John Lennon. So yeah, that was that was it. I mean, that was nineteen eighty. It was a huge year, and uh, as you can tell, from just the albums I mentioned, I mean, loads and loads of were, were also released clearly, but just based on those ones that I uh, you know I bought back in nineteen eighty, all on vinyl, I might add. Um, just just a massive, massive year, and I don't think. Uh, certainly I, I don't think there's been a year like it for just all the stars aligning um, bands artists putting out just real kind of top quality material whether it be permanent waves or back in black or or whatever it might be it was just a, a huge huge year and I'm very I'm, I look back at it very fondly um, for lots of reasons as you can imagine I was you know 14 15 and you know, um, really, really, you know, kind of embraced it, I guess you could say. So, um, yeah, that was, that was 1980, Brian. Yeah. And on January the 1st, 1980, Richie Faulkner from Judas Priest was born. Is that right? Boom. Okay. There you go. There's an interesting piece of... uh, 41 years of age. Wow. There's an interesting piece of... um, Is, I should say. Symmetry. Yeah. Oh, good stuff. Um, so next time, as is the tradition, yeah, uh, at least has been for the last year, <laughs> at some point we'll run out of years, of course, we'll have to go back and repeat them again. Um, but anyway, for now, I am going to give you uh, 1999. Nice to your that. year in rock. Excellent. As in, let's party like it's 1999. Yeah. That should be interesting, shouldn't it? Yes, I'm sure it'll not be as easy as bloody 1980. No, I don't think so. I don't think anything ever will. I mean, I've rattled off these without even thinking about it. But uh, yeah, 1999 for you next time, Brian. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you very much. So when we first started doing the podcast, Brian, uh, a year ago, um, we were talking then about going to see gigs. And it did take a little bit of time for that to start to happen. But things are opening up now, certainly in Britain. And uh, we're getting back out there, aren't we? Festivals and gigs. And you've been to a couple of interesting ones recently, haven't you? I have indeed. I was lucky enough to go and see one of my favourite bands. I um, Unashamedly, I'm a massive Manic Street Preachers fan. Um, they were um, in Edinburgh at the end of September, played the Usher Hall, they're touring their fabulous new album called The Ultra Vivid Lament. And if you get a chance to go and see it, they're still still touring in the UK. I'm not going to give anything away in the set list because we have a couple of friends who are going to see them in the next couple of days, a couple of okay. weeks. So I'm not going to give uh, the set away. But what I will say is that the band are sounding great. Um, James Dean Bradfield is still singing amazingly. Um, they they'll they do the they do the full set. They'll, they they play motorcycle emptiness off the new album, or sorry, off their off their First debut album. album. 
Um, and then you'll get you'll get all of the hits from that mid nineties period where they're doing, you know, if you tolerate this, your children will be next and designed for life. So you get all of the hits, but they mm-hmm. covered off. I, I, what I will say is that in the cover version that they do on the evening, um, a lovely, lovely touch that the Manics do is they played a little snippet of Chance by Big Country. And I love mm-hmm. the fact that the Manics, when they play, if they're if there's an artist that they like, obviously Big Country, Stuart Adamson, who sadly uh, no longer with us, if they come and play somewhere and it's a band that's big for them, they'll they'll play a little snippet of tune, and you could tell the audience clicked yeah. straight away that ah, there there's the Manics giving a nod to Big Country. So that's nice, nice. So they were they they were great, and I do you know what I love about the Manics? The Manics never do an encore. Is that right? <laughs> they never do an encore. So basically okay. you you get your 20 songs and, you know, we, we all know what the last song is probably going to be, which is most mm. likely going to be a design for life. Yeah. And then after that, it's like those people who've been to see the Malik's before, we go, right, stick your coat on, we're off mm. home. And then there's people who may not have ever been before going, no, 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 wait, wait, they're, 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 mm. they'll do an encore. The Manics don't do encores, which is nice because you can go, I'm away home now. Yeah, yeah. So it's an interesting one, isn't it, on course? Because when it's, it goes back to the classical music thing, I think, since we, we were talking about it last time. And I always think it's a bit cheesy when um, you know that they've kind of got their kind of their big songs still to play, and they're going to yeah. they're always going to play. You know, whether it be Def Leppard doing "Pour Some Sugar on Me" or or UFO doing "Doctor Doctor" or whatever. Uh-huh. Um, and they always sort of, you know, good night. I said, I think, well, what do you mean, good night? You'll be back in a minute. You know, you come on back. We want more. And then, the, the, oh, lo and behold, there they are again. Very rarely do you, you know, do you think, hang on, they, they haven't come back. I know Richie Blackmore's renowned for it. But I suppose with the Manics, if you know there's no encore, then you know there's no encore. There's no point cheering for it. And exactly. Say, yeah. They just say, good night, house lights up, and that's it. Everyone goes home. So I guess it's um it, it's good. But anyway, we'll talk about gig more gig nuances yeah. part two, maybe maybe some other time. Okay. And um yeah, yeah, I thought you went to see Porcupine Tree, but it was it was the pineapple thief, wasn't it? You can forgive my confusion there when we were talking about we, it. We will we will continue your education into British progressive music young Matthew. No, it's okay. I'm fine, thanks. Uh, So Pineapple Thief. So went to see Pineapple Thief in a fabulous little um, venue called St. Luke's in Glasgow. It was the Pineapple Thief's first gig in two years. So for those Mm -hmm. of our listeners who don't know who the Pineapple Thief are, they are a British band, um, progressive rock. Um, They have released 13 studio albums. Um, Bruce Sword is the main... Um, singer, that's guitarist. A, that's a good name, isn't it? Bruce Sword. Bruce that's Sword. A good, that's a good rock name, isn't yeah, it? It is very good. So his real name? Bruce is, Sword. Yes, yes. And, and do you know what the bass player's name is? I hate to think. John Sykes. Really? Yeah. Not the John Sykes. Well, you can imagine whenever I went to see him, I'm expecting to see a blonde-haired... Uh, blonde. Well, different John Sykes. Yeah, I was expecting no one else. I used to have a lecturer called John Sykes, actually. I don't think it's the same guy, unless he's <laughs> in his 70s now. Um, no, he's not. Any, anyway, we, we, so, we digress. Exactly. So went to see The Pineapple Thief um, on Wednesday night. Phenomenal. Um, their mm-hmm. first gig back. Um, they have a... Um, they have a real... Um, secret weapon in their band. Probably the greatest living um, drummer in... Music today for me. Uh, my he's my favourite drummer. Um, guy called Gavin Harrison. Gavin Harrison's played in King Crimson. He was in Porcupine Tree. He's he's played with everybody. Uh, he's even played, and I heard about this actually at the gig. He played the drums on Sam Brown's Stop. I believe. Is that right? Yeah, he was big studio player. But mm. the Pineapple Thief. Um, they played last Wednesday again. Um, super, super live band. And it was nice to see them back. Um, in Scotland, though, we were all, everybody was kind of wearing masks, not wearing masks. It was, it was still it's quite, we were all, we were all, we were all very much behaving themselves. But uh, Pineapple mm. Thief um, missed the opportunity to tour their last album, which is called Versions of the Truth. It's a great album. Um, I'll put a couple of tracks on the playlist. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was gig two, Matt. Pineapple Thief, mm. and they did not disappoint. 
No, no, I can imagine. Sounds good. And from what you told me, it sounds like everyone was clustered around the the, the drummer's side of the stage <laughs> to, uh, which would, would have been, <laughs> you know, a bit worrying because they might have like tipped the auditorium over. Um, but uh, anyway, moving on. So you, you, you and I got together last weekend. And, we did. Um, we went to uh, Abbey Road in London. Um, as a as a little, I know you're a big Beatles fan. As a pilgrimage yes. to well that that studio, I'm not obviously synonymous with the Beatles. Um, the, and indeed the Abbey Road album, yeah. of course. What I thought was a nice touch because Brian, of course, we both walked across the Zebra Crossing, and I took a picture of Brian walking across. And in the original um, album cover, there's a white VW Beetle parked a little way down the road. Check it out. The four of them walk across the VW Beetle. Yeah. The fifth Beetle, well, as they call it. Exactly. So, uh, however, when I was sort of taking the picture of Brian, there wasn't a Beetle, unfortunately, but there was a white car in exactly the same position. I think it was a, I don't know, Ford Focus or something. Um, <laughs> but we'll put a picture on the Facebook site and you'll see what I mean. Um, it was very popular and it was quite nice, isn't it? it at a very good gift shop. Um, yes. Great gift shop. You could have spent the whole day in the gift shop. Absolutely. Alone. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, and we couldn't go in because it's it, it's the working studio, but there was uh, plenty of references to Pink Floyd, who recorded Dark Side of the Moon there in 1973, 2-3. And, of course, plenty of Beatles-related um, sort of references there. But uh, it, was, it, was, it was, I found it quite a good experience, Brian. Quite, um, quite cathart- well, cathartic, is that the right experience, expression? But certainly... It, there's an aura to the place. Yeah. Even just even if it's just a London street, but you know, you you look at the Abbey Road Studio sign above the door, and you just think the people that have gone in and out of there, and of course you're walking across the same zebra crossing, that iconic zebra crossing, uh, as is on the Abbey, Abbey Road album cover. Um, yeah. So I, I enjoyed that little visit up to uh, up to Maida Vale um, last Friday. Yes, it was lovely. It was so understated the building mm. itself, and then you you saw the wall outside with with uh, all everybody's graffiti and signing it, and uh, mm. it was it was lovely, and and it was relatively quiet when we when when we were walking across the um, uh, yeah zebra crossing. It wasn't. I in my mind, I had cues of people. Um, you know, causing mayhem and mischief mm. to all of the drivers. I certainly wouldn't want to be somebody who lives around there trying to drive to get to work, etc. No. With with people um, standing across a, a crossing, going here, I'm taking a picture. That's right, yeah. indeed. And then on the Saturday night, we went to see three bands, didn't we? We went to see uh, the Canon Underworld, which is yeah. a quite you know an okay little venue, um, quite small up in North London. And we saw uh, a band called Joan of Arc. They were really uh, good. I enjoyed they, them. They were very good. They were on at 6.30 on a three-band bill that, and the curfew was 10 o'clock. Um, we always thought someone's going to be on early. Someone's drawn the short straw and it was them. And and they, considering the audience was fairly sparse, um, I thought they did a good job. Joan of Arc, good act. Um, and they were followed by uh, one of the bands that's at the forefront of the new wave of classic rock in Britain, a band called Revival Black from Liverpool. There you go. Bit of uh, symmetry with uh, the Beatles and everything. Ah, true, a, yes. a far cry from the Beatles, of course. Um, interesting band. Sing, a good singer. I was chatting to him beforehand to find out what's ever going on. This is how it works in Britain now. You <laughs> you see a, you see the singer outside the pub and you go out and just say, what time are you on? Half uh, past seven minutes. Okay, see you then. Looking forward to it. Oh, cheers. Um, and... Um, but did you notice the three guitarists had only had hair and stood down to their collars? It was, I think they were brothers, and and uh, maybe they were brothers. And in my mind, they were brothers. And I turned to Brian and said, "I think it probably their mum said, let you grow your hair, but only to your only to your collar, no further." But but and that's yeah it. yeah. And, and, and then, it, well, you know, wasn't it? It's like regulation length. Well, I mean, maybe they wouldn't grow it too long because it got sort of tangled in the guitar strings, uh, maybe something I don't know, or in the strap. You know, maybe it gets in the guitar strap. Um, it's, That's uh, not a good. very rock and roll reason. <laughs> no, so is it really? Um, and then finally, uh, a band called Vega were on the bill. Now they were they were pretty good, weren't they? I, I, I didn't know much about them, Vega, but uh, I thought they were they were pretty good. Um, they got a new album out called Anarchy and Unity. I think it's their what do they say, Brian? Was it their seventh seventh album? album? And they've yeah. only been together since two thousand and nine. I thought they had. They were they were they had a lot of star quality, didn't they? A lot of swagger, tr- tremendous musicianship. 
Yeah. I mean, the lead, the lead guitar, the lead guitarist, Billy Taylor, what a player. Uh, I mean, he was tremendous. Um, and the singer um, was... Uh, uh, Nick Workman, yeah. Nick Workman, he was great, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, he's really ridiculously good. I hated him because he's very good looking. He was. Um, <laughs> and he could sing as well. And uh, so, yeah, check out, um, check out the band Vega. They, they were great. What did you think of them? I, I, do you know what? I was so surprised with Vega. They were a band I knew nothing about. Um, and they came on. I, if you like, if you like your melodic rock, which is um, Europe, the eighties melodic rock. It's the Def mm. Leppard's Europe. Um, there was the a Bon Jovi thrown in. Wasn't yeah, there? absolutely. It was just, it was just right up my street. And and um, I still remember. It's always nice when you come back when you leave a gig on a Saturday night. And here we are recording on a Tuesday night, and I still remember tracks like "Every Little Monster." Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, Man, on a, "Man on a Mission" was my favorite yeah, song of the night as yeah. a top tune. And and there's yeah. just there's so and blind there were so many great tracks mm. through their through their back catalogue, and 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 obviously the audience that was there was really in, into them. Yeah. Um, so so uh, yeah, I. I for some reason, I was just, I was kind of going, why has this band not come onto my radar? So, uh, mm. um, and you're kind of going, again, front, you said many, many episodes go, Brian. Frontiers Records. Are, are you, are you uh, sponsored by Frontier Records? I'm mm. like going, well, if I was, I would have known about Vega. And the fact yeah. that, um, you know, a good UK band playing and, uh, you know, trying to get back out there on the back of COVID, mm. Billy Taylor, as you said, um, did all of the guitar duties, mm. um, and they're actually a two guitarist band. So Marcus Thurston, um, mm. uh, who couldn't make the gig because I think he came down, he came, maybe came down with COVID. So mm. Billy did all of the work. I know, and he was a phenomenal lead player. You know, I know it's tremendous. So Amazing. big shout out so, to Big to Vega. I thought they were brilliant. Yeah, yeah. good on you, Vega. And uh, they're still touring the UK. Uh, it was the first day of their tour. So if you want to go and see a really good act, yeah. top band with uh, probably with the Royal Black and Joe Levart with them as well. Um, you know, great night and really good value for money. Um, so that was it. That was, that was that was gig news. It was good to get good to get back get back out. It wasn't, it? and there, was, there wasn't much. Uh, a little bit of social distancing, uh, mainly because there wasn't that many people there. But it wasn't full. <laughs> it was, I mean, it's probably like three quarters full. So it's quite easy to social distance, wasn't it? Um, and for me to see the stage. Yeah, indeed. No, it's, it's, a, it's a good little venue, uh, the Camden Underworld. So, Brian. Yes. It's that time of the podcast that everyone, and I know everyone, because they tell me, look forward to. <laughs> it's, it's the highlight of any podcast, well, highlight of this podcast. It's Hidden Jam Time. Y- yeah. <laughs> in jam time. H- hashtag HGT. They're still not really catching on. I haven't seen it trending on, on Twitter yet, but you never know. It's early days, early days. Um, so what you got for us, Brian? Well, I'm going to stay in 1980, would you believe it? I'm, I'm actually quite surprised, Matt, because mm-hmm. I think you basically named every single rock album, good rock album that was released in 1980 um, in yep. your list. Probably. But there's one, and I'm I'm be interested to see if you'll go. Oh yeah, ah, that was a good album. Or you might go, no, oh, I didn't really like it. So I'm going to choose an I'm going to choose an album, the debut album from a British band with two mm-hmm. well-known rock guys, mm-hmm. a bass player and a guitar player. It okay. was it was produced by. Trevor Rabin from Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And no. the single was on, which was based... I think my the single was on the great album, which I always talk about, which is Headstone by yes. UFO. Uh-huh. And the lead single off this album was Criminal Tendencies by the band Wild Horses. Ah, so Wild Horses, Wild Horses was the debut studio album by uh, effectively Jimmy Bean, 
who from Dio and Rainbow and Brian Robertson from Thin Lizzy. So they That's came right. with a fantastic, cat, you know, uh, back catalogue of great um, heritage, if that's the right word. Mm-hmm. So they released their album, um, which was, I say, uh, called Wild Horses, Wild Horses. And it is an absolutely stonking album. I haven't listened to it. I, I haven't listened to it for, uh, for, for years, um, but tracks like Reservation, there's some tracks which are actually written um, around 1980 where Jimmy Bain was writing with Phil Linnett. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously tracks like um, that ended up in, in Phil's solo album um, were written with, with Jimmy. So Fly Away is on the album written with Phil and Dealer is a track <coughs> which was written by Jimmy Bain, Ro- Brian Robertson and Scott Gorham. But my hidden gem, um, obviously, as you can imagine, the first album, uh, all to get the the band were all together, and then Brian Robertson leaves. Jimmy mm. tr- Jimmy tries to keep the band going with um, Lawrence Archer, who is yep. in Grand Slam, mm-hmm. and it all sort of peters out after the second album, and then Jimmy ends up um, hooking up with Ronnie James Dio, form the Dio band. Yep. So my hidden gem is the de- debut album for, in nineteen eighty. From Wild Horses. There you go. Did you know that Very album good. in 1980? Uh, not really. Uh, um, one of the few albums I didn't buy in 1980. I do remember Wild Horses when they came out. Um, that kind of iconic sort of silhouetted black yes, and white right. kind of yeah. um, uh, promotional shot they did. But uh, yeah, I should probably check that out. It's only, it's only been 41 years, so maybe it's time for me to... Um, <laughs> To check check it out. So, um, would you like to hear my hidden gem? Brian? I would love to hear your hidden gem. It's it's yours part of the show. Well, it is. Uh, it is actually a hashtag HGT. So, um, I am going back. Turn the clock back to nineteen ninety three. Okay. Um, an album by one of our favourite singers, uh, Mr. Paul Rogers. <gasps> Now, in 1993, Paul Rogers pulled together a few of his friends to put to put out a tribute to the great Muddy Waters. And the album is called Muddy Waters Blues, a tribute to Muddy Waters. And ladies and gentlemen, it is absolutely fantastic. It's just laden with the Muddy Waters classics. Um, things like The Hunter... I just want to make love to you. Born under a bad sign. Um, I'm a hoochie, I'm your hoochie coochie man. I mean, you know, just some great stuff. But the people that played on the album with Paul Rogers, just just like a who's who of of great rock people from the uh, the nineties. Buddy guys on it. Dave Gilmore's on it. Jeff Beck, who I know is one of one of your favourite guitar players. Neil Sean, Gary Moore. Um, Brian Setzer from the uh, Stray Cats, Richie Zambora, Slashes on it, Jason Bonham, Tra- Trevor Rabin. I mean, it's just a who's who of of great uh, of great rock players, and all of whom, of course, were uh, heavily influenced by the great Muddy Muddy Waters. So, my uh, hidden gem for this week, and I think it's a good one, Brian. I hope you'll agree, is um, Muddy Waters Blues by. Uh, Paul Rogers, and and probably his one of his greatest uh, vocal performances is on uh, the song "Muddy Waters Blues," uh, just fantastic. One of the greatest, if not the greatest, rock voice there's ever been, Mr. Paul Rogers. There you go. You might as well just go boom, drop the mic. <laughs> well, I would, I would, but. I, I, I'll probably break this mic, don't me. Um, I can't the, believe uh, I can't. that's tremendous, isn't it? David Page is on it, and you know, just I just know it's him. He's on it. Um, Steve Miller's on it. Yeah, it's just just Pino Palladino's on it. Yeah. It's just like who isn't on it? It's tremendous. So I'm gutted. I, I sorry that that that's that's one I've had. In the back of the closet, for one, where where I'll maybe I'll maybe pull out Paul Rogers' tribute to Muddy Waters sometime, mm. and 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 you've just you've you've it's I I I couldn't agree with you more. The standout tracks for me on that album, if you don't mind, um, are he does they do a version of "She Moves Me," 
Mm. And Gary Moore plays the guitar on that. And the Gary, at that time in 93, Gary was really playing a lot of blues. And he was right on the, he was right on the top of his game. And just that, that Paul Rogers voice and Gary Moore's guitar, well, you know that for me is probably the perfect, (laughs) that's the perfect mix. But there's a lovely, really slow blues track on it, Matt, called Standing Around Crying. And Mm. that's the one with David Gilmore. And David Gilmore doesn't really get a chance to play much blues in the sense Mm. of within the Pink Floyd's. Um, sort of arena, but you hear Dave Gilmore's blues playing on that track, it's just phenomenal. So, I know. Yeah. hats off to you, mate. Uh, well, hashtag you HGT go. goes to you this episode, young man. That's a uh, fabulous one. I think that's 20 out of 20 for me, then, I think, isn't it? <laughs> there you go. Right, that was it. That was number 20 done in the bag. In the bag, done. Um, so thank you, everyone. Uh, uh we mean this from the bottom of our hearts thank you for listening 2,000 times people have listened to us rambling on for an hour over the over the last year and uh, we, we we really appreciate it we love doing this uh-huh. we have a great time doing it people tell us they enjoy listening to it they tell us that they, they it's reminding them when they were young they, they've really listened to albums they've discovered new bands they just just enjoyed it they've had a laugh kids have got shout outs father-in-law's got shout outs you know we've tried to we try to do our best with it so uh, we thank you all for listening and it's a pleasure doing, with you, Brian, doing it with you Brian you know that my, what's up, my, my friend uh, Mr. Brian Maney so um, until next time until next time check us all out people on all the social media um, we are on Twitter at FTATpod we shall see you all next time. Rock on. Take care. We salute you. See ya. <laughs> Bye. For those about to pod, we salute you is a Mealy Rogers media production. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe. We'll see you next time. <laughs>